Father, thank you that we can sing these songs about the sovereignty that, that you have. Lord, that you are in charge. And Lord, that we don't have to be afraid about what's going to happen to tomorrow because, Lord, we know that you're already there. God, we thank you that you are a God who, who's in charge of all things, that you sit enthroned on high. And, and Lord, that you are not only sovereign, but you are wise and good. You know what you are doing. Lord, you have a plan and a purpose in all things and you are more than able to accomplish those purposes. And so, Lord, even as we sit here today and we look at the, the, what's going around in our world, and, Lord, we have tremendous concern, Lord, we thank you that we, we have a trust in you. But, Lord, as well, you tell us to bring our concerns to you, and so we want to do that just now. Lord, we pray for, for this conflict in Israel. Lord, we pray that you would just be working. Lord, we, we would certainly pray that you would bring protection and, and protect life. Lord, we pray that you would bring peace to that land. Lord, we thank you for our brothers and sisters that are there, and, and Lord, pray that even in the midst of, of just what is so horrendous, that you would use it for good, and, and Lord, possibly for many to turn to Christ in the midst of that. Lord, we pray as well for Ukraine, and, and uh, Lord, the conflict that, that's going on there as well, and, and God, we pray again the same thing, that, that you would be at work, Lord, that you would bring a, a peaceful resolution to this, and, and, uh, and Lord, we, we trust you for that. Lord, we thank you for, for the happenings here in, in our community, and we think of this trunk or treat coming up in a couple of weeks, and Lord, I know Student Ministries got this, this murder mystery outreach this Friday night, and Lord, in all of these things, Lord, we ask that you would work. Lord, do the work that only you can do of opening eyes and helping people see, see their sins, helping people see Christ, helping people to see how amazing of a God that you are, a God of grace, and a God of mercy, and a God who, who can alleviate um, the, the, the trapped feeling that we have that we can actually have life in you. Lord, I pray that even as we spend this time right now in, in your word, Lord, that, that you would take your word, allow your spirit to move in our midst, Lord, to help us to see you, help us to see ourselves, and, and Lord, help us, Lord, to be drawn closer to you. So we ask, Lord, for you to accomplish your will and purpose during our time, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you remember last week, uh, Pastor John began in, in Jonah chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Jonah chapter 2. That's where we're going to be spending our time this morning. But just to, to kind of recap a little bit about from last week. So last week we saw that Jonah is a prophet of God who had been called by God to go to Nineveh to preach a message of repentance. If you remember, Jonah hates the, uh, the Assyrians. They were considered to be an enemy of, of Israel, and instead of obeying God, he runs in exactly the opposite direction from where God had called him to go. And we saw that God is sovereign. We saw that we cannot run away from the living God. And as a result of Jonah's disobedience, we saw that God's hand of discipline w was upon him. You know, sometimes we think that, uh, that we can sin, we can be rebellious, we can go against God, and only impacts us. But if you remember last week, we also saw that, that, uh, that his rebellion had a huge impact on every person that was on that ship. And God brought a huge storm, and, and the, the ship's crew uh, was panicked. They were in fear. They're throwing over cargo and all kinds of stuff. And, and they ended up ultimately throwing Jonah over into the sea. I mean, you can think of things in your life. I mean, can you think of things in your life that God has used to get your attention? Um, maybe it wasn't that you were actively in rebellion to God like Jonah was, but maybe you had just become lethargic in your faith. 
And God wants to wake you up. You know, I don't know. I mean, I, I know of someone more recently who had a medical test run. They, they found a lump. And um, that led to more tests a couple of times to rule out cancer. And because the first test was inconclusive, of course, then they had to run more tests and more tests. And that ended up dragging out for a number of months. And, um, and they had to play the waiting game, which is not a very fun game to play. You know, or maybe it's like one of my, my high school students a number of years ago in, in student ministry. He wasn't living for the Lord at the time, and, and he, he was actually he was in, involved in a major automobile accident. He totaled his car. He wasn't significantly injured, but I remember as I talked to him, he said that that was a major wake-up call in his life, that God really used that to bring him back to the Lord. You know, it might be that you have some secret sin in your life that maybe has become less secret more recently. You know, sometimes we go through crisis in our lives and it's not because of any sin. It's because we live in a fallen world. But, but God wants to use all of these things to grow us and to teach us and, and to, to help us in relationship with him. You know, but, but when we are actively trying to run away from God, it doesn't make things better, does it? Jonah has found himself in deep trouble with no place to run. And maybe that's how you feel today. Maybe you feel that you're trapped. Maybe you feel that your world's closing in on you and there's no place for you to go. Just think of me, with me for a minute of the situation that Jonah <clears throat> finds himself in. He, he was in the midst of a terrible storm and he knew it was his fault. The captain told him to pray and to cry out to his God in the midst of the storm and, and the rest of the crew was doing that. They were crying out to their gods to try to save them. The text doesn't tell us specifically if Jonah prayed, although you would think as he's being tr- thrown into the depths of the sea that presumably he would pray um, you know, that God might, might help him, that God might spare him. I mean, just think, can you imagine, can you imagine being thrown overboard in the midst of a huge storm knowing it was because of your rebellion against God? Thinking, this is it, I'm going to die. We can picture Jonah possibly trying to swim amidst the huge waves amongst the storm, but losing the battle and beginning to sink to the bottom of the sea. When all of a sudden a huge fish comes swimming towards him and everything goes black. He's soaking wet. He's disoriented. Something smells horrible. It's slimy. And he begins to realize, I didn't die but he's inside the belly of this great fish. Now he's got a whole other issue going on, doesn't he? He's trapped. He has no idea what he's going to do. He has no idea where he's going to go. He has no idea how long he's going to be trapped in there. And so what does Jonah do? He prays. He prays. You know, unfortunately, how often is it that we are like Jonah? It's only when a crisis comes that we actually cry out to God. It's only when we need something from God that we, that we pray. We only come to God when, as a last resort. You know, we, we treat God kind of like the cosmic butler in the sky, that, um, you know, he should beckon to us whenever we call. Unfortunately, instead of enjoying an ongoing, personal, intimate relationship and fellowship with God, oftentimes we push God out to the margins of our lives. Well, in Jonah chapter 2, we re- recorded for us here is Jonah's prayer. 
And, and it's written in the first person. These are Jonah's words to us from the belly of the fish. God has finally gotten hold of Jonah's attention. And so we want to take a look and see what we can learn from Jonah's prayer and what God's response is this morning. Somebody ask you, if you would, to stand with me together. We're going to read this whole chapter. You can follow along on the screen if you want to follow along in your scriptures. Beginning in Jonah chapter 2, verse 1, we read, From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the the currents swirled about me. All your waves and the breakers swept over me. And I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. To the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah on to dry ground. You may be seated. You know, Jonah no doubt expected to die when those, those sailors threw him over into the waters. But when he wakes up, he's inside of the fish. And he realized that God has graciously spared his life. This was not because Jonah deserved it. This was not because Jonah did something about that. This was all because of the mercy of God. And so this morning, we want to look at this prayer that Jonah prays and see this progression. So if you have your bulletins and you want to follow along, there's some blanks that you can fill in as we, as we work through this passage The first thing that we notice in this passage is that he prays for God's help. He prays for God's help. In verses 1 and 2, we read about that. You know, Jonah has been running from God, and now he recognizes that he desperately needs outside intervention. In contrast to the false gods that the sailors have initially been praying to, Jonah knows that God is the only God who can intervene for him. And so Jonah cries out for God's mercy. If Jonah had only done that in the first place, but he has to learn the hard way, unfortunately, oftentimes, as many of us do, and that is that God is sovereign, that he is in charge, that we are not, and that we can never, ever successfully run away from God. Notice God not only listens to to his cry, but he also answers him. I mean, think about that. How merciful is our God. Look what he says here in verse 2. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Jonah is experiencing what it feel like, feels like to be in great need. God is reminding him of what it feels like to be hopeless, to be helpless to be lost except for the intervention of God. And that is exactly the experience of all peoples because of our sin. 
when they actually stop and they begin to assess their lives, they realize that, that they're in deep trouble. And that's certainly the experience of the people of, of, of Nineveh apart from God. You know, we don't know, but perhaps God is allowing Jonah to experience this to remind Jonah of why he, God is even sending him to the people of Nineveh. The beginning point then for salvation is to realize that you are hopelessly lost. That you are hopelessly lost. That God is holy. That he is perfect in every way. And because of his holiness, he cannot tolerate sin in his presence. You know, Habakkuk um, 1.13, it says it this way. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. You know, we, we, unfortunately, we've heard about the holiness of God, and I don't think we think enough about it, and oftentimes we, we minimize our rebellions, our sin and our rebelliousness against God, and, and we convince ourselves that our sin is not really that big of a deal. But when we remember God's holiness, our sin is a huge deal. Our sin reveals that what we deserve is death. I mean, the beginning point for salvation is to realize that there is nothing you can do to save yourself from your sins, that because of your sins, you are getting exactly what you deserve. And if you believe that you can still save yourself, you're still not ready to be rescued. You know, it, it's said that when a person is drowning, and they're still trying to rescue themselves, you know, they're, they're frantically trying, you know, trying to, to get above the water, they're tr still trying to, 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 to rescue themselves. If a, if a lifeguard attempts to try to, to rescue them, and that's the state that the person is in, when the lifeguard gets close enough to the person, you know what happens? They, they grab a hold of them and they shove the lifeguard down trying to get up above the water. And as long as they are trying to save themselves, they can't be rescued. They have to come to the place where they're willing to stop trying to rescue themselves. They have to come to the place where they're willing to surrender themselves to the power of the lifeguard. And then, and only then, are they able to be rescued. And in this passage, we see that Jonah has finally come to the place where he is willing to stop running and admit he desperately is in need of help. So that's the first thing. He prays for God's help. Secondly, we read here that he accepts God's discipline. He accepts God's discipline. It was the sailors who threw Jonah into the sea. But in his prayer here in verse 3, Jonah says it was God who did it. Notice what it says. It says, you, God, hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves, again, God's waves and breakers swept over me. Jonah is acknowledging that it is God who is disciplining him. I mean, how often do we serve God and therefore we believe that as a result that God owes us? And then when we find ourselves in different cir difficult circumstances, we get, we get angry at God. This isn't the deal that I signed up for, right? I mean, God's supposed to, I serve God, so God serves me. But that's not the heart we see here in Jonah. He knows that he is getting exactly what he deserves. Whenever, he, whenever we have to deal with negative consequences of sin, we are getting exactly what we deserve. 
You know, it's been said that how we respond to discipline determines how beneficial it really is. According to Hebrews 12, which talks about how God disciplines his children, there are a number of responses that we can have to God's discipline. According to that passage, it says we can despise God's discipline. We can become discouraged by God's discipline. We, we can resist God's discipline or we could submit to it and we can learn from it and be trained by it. Notice in Hebrews 12, 11, it says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. Listen to what it says, for those who are trained by it. By those who are trained by it. That's not an automatic. That depends upon our response to God's discipline. Jonah is recognizing that his present situation is because of his own willful choices and that God is wanting to work in his life through these circumstances. You know, it's been said that we often have to reach rock bottom before we're willing to listen and to benefit. And I want to tell you, Jonah has really reached rock bottom. There is no lower that he can go. Notice in verse 6, Jonah acknowledges that he has sank down into the depths. Verse 6 says, and to the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. I don't know that he can go much lower. It was said of Chuck Colson, one of uh, President Nixon's hatchet men, that he would do whatever it took to get the job done. Some of you remember this. Um, he was arrested as part of the water skate, skate gandal. He was put into prison. He was barred from ever practicing law again. And as a result of being down, brought down so low from the lofty position that he had next to the President of the United States, God grabbed a hold of his heart. He surrendered his life to Christ. He became a Christian. And God radically changed Chuck Colson. And after he got out of prison, he spent the rest of his life ministering to prisoners. He had to realize how low he had to get before he was willing to listen to God. So not only has Jonah cried out to God for help and accepted God's discipline, Jonah has trusted also in God's God's promises. In verse 4, he says, I have been banished from your sight. He is recognizing his wrong, his, his disobedience. When we run away from God, we isolate ourselves from him, and that is a terrible, terrible place to be. I mean, you ever go grocery shopping with your kids, or, 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 or maybe you're in a department store with your kids, and they become separated from you? Some of you remember this as parents, right? And you, you start looking for them, and you can't find them, and then you get this sick fearful, right, in the pit of your stomach that something awful may have happened to your child. But Jonah is beginning to realize how lonely it is to be separated from the God of the universe who loves him. However, Jonah doesn't remain disconnected from God. The good news is that we can be forgiven and restored in our relationship. It doesn't matter what you have done, how bad you are. With God, there is always hope and forgiveness. And so the first step then is to acknowledge our wrong and to repent of our sin. It's the step of humbling ourselves before God and desiring to turn away from our sins. And then we can claim the promise of God. In 1 John 1, 9, an amazing promise of God says, God promises that when we confess our sins, he is faithful 
and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Notice in in the second half of of verse 4, Jonah says this. He says, I have been banished from your sight. He says, and yet I, yet I look again toward your holy temple. In verse 7, Jonah says, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. I mean, how can Jonah pray like this? How can he pray with hope even from the belly of this fish? I mean, does Jonah deserve for God to hear him? And the answer is no. This has nothing to do with what he deserves. I mean, as sinners, you and I, we deserve the wrath of God. This has everything to do with the heart of a merciful God, a God willing to not give us what our our rebellion deserves. So how can Jonah pray like this? He can pray like this because he claims the promises of a merciful God, and by faith he looks to the temple praying to God for deliverance. He says, I remembered the Lord. I remembered the Lord. Jonah knew God's covenant promises, and he claims them. Now, what is the significance of Jonah looking to the temple? You remember, the the temple was the place where God dwelt in the Holy of Holies. It was the place that the blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat once a year by the high priest. The death of the sacrificial animal acted as a substitutionary sacrifice for the sins of the people so that they could be forgiven. Jonah was placed at death's door. But he acknowledges that God is the one who has the ability to rescue him. And in verse 6, from the belly of the fish, Jonah says, But God brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. Jonah is expressing a renewed confidence and reliance upon God. When we are in the midst of trouble, but we know the promises of God, we can have a confidence even though the circumstances aren't changed. I mean, how can that be? And the reason is this, because if God has promised it, it is as sure as if it has already happened. I will say that again. If God has promised it, it is as sure as if it has already happened. So in this passage so far, we see that that Jonah prays for God's help. He accepts God's discipline. He trusts God's promise. And then he casts himself on God's grace. He casts himself on God's grace. I mean, the key book of the verse of of the book of Jonah, the key verses and and, and the key verse in in the passage that you and I are reading today is verses eight and nine. That's what it says. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Salvation comes from the Lord. Let me read that again. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Salvation comes from the Lord. Now what has gotten Jonah into the mess that he did? It was him. He got himself into this mess. He has been clinging to worthless idols instead of God's grace. Now, now what's an idol? What's an idol? An idol is looking to someone or something else other than than God. It's anything that takes away from God the affection and the obedience that rightly belongs to only God. Tim Keller in in the book Counterfeit Gods defines an idol as this. He says, whatever you look at other than God and say in your heart of hearts, 
if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know that I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. Well, what, what has Jonah been clinging to other than God? Well, there could be a number of different things. I'm only going to suggest two. One of Jonah's idols has been his patriotism. He was so concerned with the, pr- the prosperity of Israel that he refused to be God's messenger to their enemies, the Assyrians. Another of Jonah's idols was self-righteousness. He considered himself so much better than the Assyrians. As far as he was concerned, they were wicked people and they were getting exactly what they deserved. That is God's judgment. But notice now Jonah says that adultery blocks us from experiencing the grace of God in our lives. I mean, what is it, what's changed for Jonah? Why, why is he now acknowledging that to cling to idols causes us to forfeit the grace that could be ours? I want to suggest to you that the starting point for experiencing grace is to see the depth of our own sin and our own helplessness. This situation caused Jonah to think long and hard. You can imagine being in the belly of this fish. He has lots of time that to think and to meditate. It's caused him to see his sin and his rebellion in the difficult path that that has led him to. It has caused him to see that he is just as deserving of the judgment that he has wished upon the Assyrians. Now the starting point for experiencing grace is to see the depth of your sin. The other side of grace is to see the length to which God has gone to set you free. In Jonah 2.4, Jonah says, He sees his sin and his hopelessness is sustained, and he says, I have been banished from your sight. And then in verse 7, he says, his life is ebbing away. What Jonah deserved was to be drowned. What he deserved was to die. But notice in verse 4, Jonah says, yet I. He says, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. This, this idea, this, this yet I indicates that this statement does not connect the one statement with the next. In other words, it is not a logical train of thought that this results in this. He says that even though he should be banished, he looks again to the temple of God. In verses 5 and 6, it says that even though Jonah should be going down forever, He says, but you, God, brought my life up from the pit. Even though he has sinned, how is it possible for him to be forgiven? And the only answer is God's grace. The only answer is God's grace. Jonah has experienced God's grace even in the belly of the fish. Now, understand, God's grace does not overlook our sin. No, he looks to the temple. We've already mentioned this, but now we have a fuller understanding of of what's being understood here, what's being said here. In in Matthew 12, verses 38 to 40, the Pharisees are asking Jesus for a miraculous sign. And and Jesus says the only sign that he is going to give them is the sign of Jonah. This is what the, the passage says. It says, then some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law said to him, teacher, we want to see sign from you. And he answered, a wicked and an adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. 
I mean, we know that when, when Jonah was thrown into the sea of God's wrath that he deserved, the storm subsided and the, sh- the sailors on the ship were rescued. But Jonah did not die. He spent three days and, and three nights in the belly of the whale and then, or the fish, and, and then he was returned to the land again. But when Jesus Christ, our Savior, was thrown into the sea of God's wrath, he died. He died in our place so that the storm of God's wrath would subside and you and I could be rescued. He died on a Roman cross to make payment for the punishment of our sin so that justice could be served and you and I could be forgiven. He died and was in the grave for three days and then, praise God, he resurrected from the dead. I mean, what the story of Jonah is pointing to is the grace of God. We need to be willing to acknowledge that our sin, that our hopeless condition has got us here. We need to be willing to acknowledge that the idols in our lives have been the things that we've been looking to other than Christ. But at the same time, we need to see Christ's substitutionary, sacrificial death taking the wrath of God that you and I deserved. And when we see that, we see both of those, when we see our own wickedness and we see God's undeserving love, we can experience God's grace. When we see God's justice poured out on Christ, and yet his love colliding on the cross, it should do something within us. It should impact us. Recognize that it is never too late to acknowledge your need and to fall on God's grace. And Jonah is doing that exact thing in the belly of this fish. And so I could ask this question. I mean, have you ever, have you ever repented of your sins and, and placed your trust in Jesus' death for you so that you can be forgiven? Perhaps you're a believer here today. You have done that. But are you, are you in your rebellion? Are you, are you finding it now that you're in a, a hard spot? You feel trapped? Are you willing as Jonah to stop forfeiting the grace of God and to stop looking to something or someone else and turn back to God and experience his grace in your life? Last thing I want you to notice here is is Jonah's response to God's rescue. His response to God's rescue. And it says here he sings a song of thanksgiving. Notice in verse 9 he says, but I with a song of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you. Now how amazing is that? I mean seriously, think about that. This rebellious prophet is now singing a song of thanksgiving even while he is still in the belly of this fish. Now I, you know, I, I, it would make sense to me that once he gets burped up, right, vomited up on the shore, that now he's doing a jig and he's dancing. I was like, yeah, but that's not what it says. It says while he's still in the fish, he's singing this song of thanksgiving. He recognizes if it weren't for the grace of God, he wouldn't even be alive at this very moment. You know, you and I, we need to be able to thank God for the crisis moments in our lives, right, as well as the victories. He thanks God for sparing his life. If it weren't for the grace and the mercy of God, Jonah would have not experienced the salvation of the Lord. He only has life because of God's grace. And this has impacted his motivation in following God. And even while he is in the midst of this difficult circumstance, he has thanksgiving in his heart to God. Not only do we see his response of 
uh, up to this rescue of a song of thanksgiving, we also see his response here is a commitment to obey. Look at verse 9 again. It says, what I have vowed, I will make good. When we are overwhelmed by God's love for us, when we have experienced God's undeserved favor, his grace, it does something inside of us. It changes us. Jonah is no longer doing his own thing. He is no longer running from God. Jonah has experienced the deliverance from God, and now he is ready to do whatever God has called him to do. He is now as determined to do God's will as originally he was to not do God's will. He's willing to go to Nineveh and preach repentance. And lastly, then, we see here that God commands the fish to vomit Jonah. Verse 10, and the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry ground. God delivered Jonah from death, and now he returns him to life. Jonah's repentance was complete as he wasn't just sorry for his rebellion, but now he is trusting God again, and he's willing to live for him. God does the same thing for us. When we put our trust in Christ, he delivers us from death and brings us to life. You know, this, this passage is somewhat reminiscent of, of, the, of the story of the prodigal son in the New Testament. Because in, in the story of the prodigal son, we, we read here of, of how the, the prodigal runs away from his father. He's in rebellion. Secondly, he ends up in a terrible life or death situation. You remember, all of his money runs out. There's a famine in the land. He's, he's, he's starving to death, literally. And then it tells us in this passage, that the, in, in the, the, the story here of the prodigal son, that he repents. And, and I just want to read this for you, just because I think there's correlation here for what, what happens here with the story with Jonah. But this is um, in Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 17. He says here, when he comes to his sense, and speaking of the prodigal son, he says, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I've set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. And so he got up and he went to his father. We see three, three steps here that are part of repentance that we see here in the life of the prodigal son. It's also true of Jonah. The first one, it says here, he came to his senses in verse 17. This has to do with our mind. He has a change in his thinking. Secondly, it says here that he says in, in verse 19, he says, I'm going to go to my dad and I'm going to say, to him, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. What's that? That's a change of heart. He is humbling himself before his father. And lastly, in, in verse 20, he, he says here, says there, he, got, he went up, he got up, and he went. He has a change in action. And I'm going to suggest to you that all three of those are important steps of repentance. We need to have a change in our thinking. We need to have a change in our heart. We have, need to have a change in our actions. We see that in the prodigal son here, and we, we know the rest of the story. He experiences the grace of God, doesn't he? He's invited in. And that's certainly what we see here with, with Jonah. And, and that's true for you and me as well. So we, we've, we've read through this prayer of Jonah of repentance inside of the fish. He prayed for God's help. He accepted God's discipline. He trusted in God's promise. 
He casts himself on God's grace, and he responds to God's rescue with a song of of thanksgiving and with this commitment to obey. And so what's the application for you and me this morning? I mean, the, the bottom line is this. We are all in need of God's grace. I mean, you realize the natural default of our hearts is to try to justify ourselves And we do that in lots of different ways, and and the way it's described in this passage is that we look to idols, we look to other things that we think will bring value and significance and purpose and security to our lives other than God. But when we truly see our sin against the holy God and realize our helpless estate, that is that there is absolutely nothing we can do to rescue ourselves. When we recognize that we have been looking to other things other than God to rescue us, then and only then when we repent can we experience God's response of mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. We experience God's mercy and grace to our rebellion of which we are totally undeserving and it it changes us from the inside out. And so we've gotten this glimpse into the heart of Jonah through the prayers that he has cried out to God. We've gotten this glimpse into the heart of God himself, right, as he has answered him and he has delivered him. And as a result, Jonah is transformed. May we not have to get into crisis situations like this before we are willing to humble ourselves under the almighty hand of God and submit to his leadership in our lives. And, and I just, I think the, the overflow of this passage is may we be so overwhelmed by God's grace, demonstrated by Christ's death and his resurrection, that we want to follow God with our lives as well. God's grace will not only redeem us and transform us, but if we let it, it will also empower us to be able to live the life to which God has now called us to. So as we wrap this up, just ask this question. Do you find yourself in a hard spot today? Maybe God's trying to get a hold of your attention. Are you willing to stop running from God and run to him? Repent. Trust him to help you. You know, if you've been looking to other things other than God, and again, they may not be bad things. They may be good things. But if you're looking to other things other than God to try to find that, that fulfillment, are you willing to repent of that and accept God's grace? I mean, if you're sitting here this morning, you've never trusted in Christ's death on the cross as a, as a substitutionary sacrificial payment for your sins, that's really the starting place for you to experience God's grace today. And maybe you have. Maybe you've trusted in Christ. And you've, but you've allowed other things to become more important to you than Christ. Maybe you're not in active rebellion against God like Jonah was here, but, but maybe you know that you've not been following God as you ought either. The starting point is to do what we see Jonah do in this passage, and that is to acknowledge our sin, repent, and thank God for his promise of forgiveness. Living it out then, when you see what Jesus Christ did for you, then you will have the strength to admit your sin. We can be honest with God. We can run to him. 
And when you admit your sin, then you will have the, be in the position to experience God's grace. And those two go hand in hand. We have to be willing to admit our sin, and we need to be willing to run to him and experience his, his amazing grace and love. And that is an explosion that will take place that will transform us from the inside out. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this, this picture that we have in this passage. And really, we, we read this prayer of, of Jonah and we learn so much from it. But Lord, we also see this picture even of Jonah being cast for three days and three nights into this fish. And Lord, the picture of the gospel, of Jesus Christ being put on the cross and, and going to the grave and, and three days later raising again from the dead. God, I pray that you would not allow anyone in this room to miss, miss what you're trying to say to us today. That when we are trapped, when we are helpless, when we are lost, Lord, if we're only willing to turn and run to you in repentance, that we can experience this amazing, amazing grace that is so undeserved, but comes freely from the hand of a gracious and merciful and loving God. God, I pray if there's any in this room, Lord, who aren't believers, who, who've never trusted in Christ, Lord, that today that you would help them to see their own sinfulness, but Lord, help them also to see the death of Christ on their behalf that they can be forgiven. And God, I pray for those in this room maybe who they have stuff in their lives, and maybe it's even good stuff that they've been looking to other than you Oh, God, I pray that your grace would help them to see that it's okay. They can run to you in repentance and be honest and admit their sin. Because, Lord, that you are merciful and you are gracious and you will forgive. And you will cleanse us. So I, I don't know, Lord, what the work that you want to do, but I pray, Father, that you would do that work. So I'm just going to give you a couple of moments and then I'm going to conclude and in, in prayer, but just take a couple of minutes, and if God's been speaking to you and there's something he wants you to do, respond to him, and then, uh, like I said, then I'll conclude. Holy Father in heaven, we can't begin to understand what perfection must be like, but that's all you've ever known, because that's who you are. You are perfect in every aspect of who you are. And yet, Lord, you've seen fit to have relationship with us. And so, Lord, today we rejoice in our salvation. We rejoice in your grace. We rejoice in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection on our behalf. And I pray, Father, that you would allow us to be so overwhelmed by your love for us that the only response that we can have is that we want to fall down and worship you. Help us as we go forth, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you are here today and you want to pray with someone, um, I'm going to stay up front here. Feel free, certainly, to come up. If you, got, you feel trapped and you just want to pray, uh, please do that. Otherwise, you are dismissed. Go in God's grace.